0: Welcome to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. This is where the editors and writers of the Weekly Standard get together to talk about what's in the magazine, what's in the news, and whatever else may be on our minds. Michael Warren is coming by. He's going to tell us what the collapse of the Obamacare repeal and replace effort means for the White House. Does Donald Trump have anything to learn about the art of the political deal? And then Jenna Liffitz is going to come and join us to talk about the dual scandal questions of the week. One, did anyone in Trump's team collude with the Russians? Or, two, did anyone in Obama's team abuse their access to national security surveillance to gather info on the Trump team? Oh, my. All that next on The Confab. Michael Warren, senior writer of The Weekly Standard, joins us now on The Confab. Michael Warren, you've been up and back from the White House all this week. And uh, again, another one of these weeks where not much of anything <laughs> seems to happen. Actually, I think if there's a headline, if there's a headline for the, for the week, it is a two-word headline, Epic Fail. <laughs> is that unfair?
1: No, I don't think it's unfair. But it is complicated, right? I mean, uh, maybe let's start off with some positive for uh, the Trump administration. Um, It was a good week for Trump and his Supreme Court nominee, Neil Gorsuch.
0: There's a Supreme Court nominee?
1: Yeah, you may have forgotten. You may have overlooked it, uh, given all the other bad news, which we'll get to in a a second. But yeah, Neil Gorsuch, the Supreme Court nominee, had his four-day hearing in front of the Judiciary Committee. And I guess you didn't hear anything about it because— it kind of went off went off without a hitch. Uh, he was professional. He was well prepared. Uh, got a lot of tough questions from Democrats that he that Gorsuch was kind well, of that
0: that serious and and well respected legal scholar Al Franken <laughs> <laughs> sparred mightily intellectual isn't, battle.
1: Isn't it weird that Al Franken played a senator on Saturday Night Live twenty five gosh almost thirty years ago? Uh, in a sketch about the Clarence Thomas hearing, and now he's actually a real senator, uh, and I'm not quite sure, like which one's more of a joke, the SNL yeah, or the actual? Yeah, Senate I think the,
0: more, the SNL one is a more compelling <laughs> re- representation of a senator at a, at a confirmation hearing.
1: Exactly. So, so I mean, Gorsuch was well prepared, and I think easily batted away any of the potential, you know, uh, lines of attack from hate women's. Right, that he hates women, that hates he, children, right, exactly all those things. He hates the little guy, loves the rich, likes kicking puppies, all that sort of stuff. I mean, none of that uh, really broke through
0: because there was nothing there, and they didn't have the puppy videos. No,
1: they they uh, they tried to drop them, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess they uh, they they left them somewhere else. No, I mean this was this has a lot to do with good preparation on Gorsuch's part, uh, and simply the fact that. Uh, he was uh, he was hard to take down. Um, now, I guess Democrats really still are considering filibustering his nomination. I think it's politically foolish of them to do that. But if they're going to do that, there's a lot of uh, goodwill that Gorsuch got. I think Republicans who might otherwise say, let's not get rid of the filibuster are now saying uh, maybe it's it's time we do this and just uh, be honest with with ourselves on this. So that was a good part of the week for the Trump administration. And that's kind of it on the good side. Everything else was kind of uh, a disaster.
0: So the the disaster of the week, really, the one that, that was most pronounced, was the fail on the Obamacare repeal and replace. Right. Tell us about Donald Trump's role in trying, at the last minute, to get the deal to come together. And where was the artiste, the man, <laughs> The artiste of the deal. Right.
1: Uh, Well, give him some credit, Eric. It wasn't last minute. It was just last week. Uh, Really, I think this ever from the White House started in earnest, uh, you know, five or six days before the vote was, well, supposed to be uh, held on Friday. Um, The White House said, Sean Spicer said at his Friday briefing before the bill was pulled that the president had essentially done all he could.
0: He left it all on the field. He left it all on the field. Uh,
1: he had made his, I don't
0: know that that's just such a great analogy. Well,
1: have you ever? I mean, <laughs> does the winning team ever say that? The coach ever say, you know, hey, we went out there, we left it all on the field, and we won? Uh, no, no. Not, I've seen enough sports movies. I know how this goes. Uh, so um, it was already sort of telegraphing that this was not going to be a good, uh, dis- uh, good vote or lack thereof uh, as it turned out um but but the effort uh, to really start convincing these on the fence republicans didn't start until this week and uh it was kind of half bait uh, and and so from the white house's public perspective hey they did all they could that's why it was important to hold the vote uh when when they did the the other thing i've heard from the white house is all well, the legislative schedule is just so busy so much that president trump needs to accomplish that uh There was no other uh, uh, there was no more time to do this. Um, And so that's why after the bill was supposed to happen on Thursday, pushed it back to Friday. uh, That was sort of the ultimatum. Well, ultimately, on Friday afternoon, House Speaker Paul Ryan went to the White House, told uh, the president, we don't have the votes. We're not going to have this vote. Uh, uh, We're not going to put our members through this uh, for them to vote for something that's going to fail. Uh, and, and go
0: on record getting getting the heat by having had a vote that you're that you're on record with that can be used against you, totally. even though the bill never went anywhere.
1: Exactly. This this is the stuff attack ads are made of. Yeah. Um, and so uh, that was what happened. And, and again, of course, the, the president has a lot of power, but it's ultimately up to the House leadership about what is voted on. And they decided they didn't have the votes
0: although calling a vote demanding the vote saying it has to happen now that's in negotiation strategy creating an action forcing event right but you got to try to set it up so that the action that gets forced is the one you want right, right.
1: well i think they th- i think the, the, the look the strategy was not was not crazy in the sense that um the the message from the white house from republican leadership was that You guys, all of you Republicans, have been running on repealing and replacing Obamacare for years. This is it. Uh, I I believe uh, Sean Spicer said this is our opportunity. Um, And and so there was sort of an effort to almost guilt Republicans or or dare Republicans to vote against it. And I think that... uh, those Republicans who were opposed to it both on the conservative side and on the moderate side let's not forget that moderates as well pretty much since the bad cpo score came out have been looking for excuses not to vote for this um both of those groups were not convinced they called they called they called the white house's bluff the white house was hoping and house leadership were hoping that that uh, that that they could uh, that it would be the other way around so um this was a this is a big defeat for Paul Ryan and, and the House, but it was also a big defeat for Donald Trump. And and you do have to wonder, does the White House start reconsidering how they approach getting this agenda through? Do they need to spend a little more time on things or, uh, you know, uh, study up on the issues? As Donald Trump said Friday afternoon in a statement he made in the, in the Oval Office, we learned a lot uh, in this process. We learned a lot about some arcane House and Senate rules. Wouldn't it be a good idea to to know about those things before you start pushing for a a vote that is so wrapped up in those arcane procedures?
0: That and also one wonders whether the Trump team learned anything about what strategies, what negotiating strategies work in Washington. Um, You know, the president confronted uh, lawmakers and said, I'm coming after you. Right. If if you don't get on with this vote and it did nothing. And if you are exposed that your threats don't succeed in threatening anyone. Where are you then as a president?
1: Right. I mean, and you can look at this from really starting in November. So many of these House members, particularly in the conservative districts, um, but even some of the moderates as well. I think uh, you can look at their vote totals. They did better than Donald Trump did. Uh, in their districts, um, uh, in the November elections, um, kind of hard to hold, hold that over your head. Now, maybe there, there, there's a, uh, a threat of a, of a primary fight that the president might, might back a primary challenger to you. Um, but it's difficult to do that when the president has 37% approval, when this bill itself, uh, the Quinnipiac poll this week came out, said 17% of Americans supported the bill. Um, This would be a different negotiating tactic if the president were at 60 percent approval rating and and, uh, was sort of, uh, you know, knocking things down all across Washington. Instead, he was sort of using this tough negotiating tactic from a point of weakness. uh, And you also had a weak Speaker of the House to boot somebody who doesn't even really want the job in the first place uh, trying to cajole. Um, Just not a good uh, recipe for getting people on board. The other thing here is the squeeze, which is in an attempt by uh, the White House and the Speaker's office to get some of those most right wing, most conservative members on board, uh, changing some of the the, the policies in this in this bill, some of the proposals to more uh, convince those conservatives. uh, They were also giving a lot of moderates uh, more excuses to vote against it. And so this was this was uh, sort of. Uh, the tactics on this, trying to get this bill through, uh, just don't didn't make any sense throughout. Uh, and you do wonder, the White House's argument is, we had done everything that we could. We, there was no more time. We would just be spinning our wheels, essentially, to try to get people on board. I think if they could go back, uh, they might have wanted to take a little more time, get some tax reform stuff. There's some reasons why they wanted to do Obamacare repeal before tax reform, but that's, that's silly. Uh, do tax reform. Do some of these other things where you have a lot more consensus on the, uh, among Republicans and, uh, and and try to work long term on uh, on Obamacare repeal. Obamacare itself took 18 months to get through uh, for the Democrats in the beginning of the Obama administration. This was, what, 18 days uh, before uh, essentially that the House and the White House have said eh, we're giving up on health care.
0: How many Ph.D. theses are, are going to be written on how Donald Trump's negotiating strategy worked once it came to Washington? I think, for example, if you're in the real estate business, you have it in your power to negotiate by saying, well, if you don't give me this, that, or the other, then I'm just going to go build someplace else. Right. Right. And that's a, that's a, a powerful threat uh, to a, a zoning board. Right. Um, especially if you're an international player, you can move to a different city. So you're, you're very much used to putting things in this kind of take it, take it or I'm out of here. Right. And Trump seemed to adopt that pose as part of this negotiation with his own party. Right. and um,
1: Which he has a very great relationship with. Great. He said. Great, uh, for, great relationship. Interesting for the Republican president to say he has a great relationship with his own party. But regardless, I think your point is absolutely right, Eric. Right, This is – he has uh, – he, he's thinking of it in terms of take it or leave it when, as Donald Rumsfeld would say, you go to war with the army you have. Well, this is the army that Donald Trump has and, as he said today uh, – on Friday – uh, lots of different factions in the house lots of different 435 different opinions uh, in the House of Representatives 200 and you know 30 something whatever it is, on the Republican side um, <laughs> I mean there's there's no there's nowhere for him to go these, these are the people he has to negotiate right, and
0: with. it's not a, and and he, it's not like he can go and do health care reform in another country or in another <laughs> okay. locality or something it's sort of to leave it means you lost
1: well, and, and I think you're right about that. Interesting little nugget that I think is, deserves exploring here is in this Friday afternoon statement, Donald Trump hinted that maybe he would try to find another group of people uh, to do health care with, Democrats. Uh, and, and I think this is interesting. and We may see some some of this in the next couple of weeks. He said, uh, you know, a bipartisan health care bill might be the ultimate um, and and maybe it, the path that he wants to go. Now this is after the White House tells me, well, you know, this is dead. We're not doing any health care. But it does show you that 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 Trump does think of it in these terms. Well, if I can't get this done this way with this Republican conference, maybe I can get some Democrats. How successful he'll be?
0: Stick it to the uh, Freedom Caucus. Exactly. Uh,
1: exactly. And uh, look, this won't be a massive health healthcare. Uh, certainly, not an Obamacare repeal or a massive comprehensive health care bill, but you can you can see the possibility of say i don 't know uh, d- prescription drug prices a lot of Democrats and even some moderate Republicans um, you know really kind of want to stick it to the drug companies and you could, you could see Donald Trump getting on board with that kind of proposal so uh it 's funny that you mentioned this negotiating tactic maybe. Maybe Donald Trump can find another army to fight with. It just means working with Democrats. Not going to make Republicans in Congress happy, but maybe it could work.
0: Well, look, Obamacare is not – the problems with Obamacare is not going away. Correct. Um, You know, for Obamacare to succeed at all, you basically needed this huge backdoor slush fund of money from uh, the federal government into the coffers of – the uh, insurance companies so that they could maintain premiums at a rate that was not um, obscene. And um, the Republicans were not filling that slush fund, and I doubt they're going to feel any need to fill that slush fund now. And in the absence of the slush fund, premiums are going to continue to skyrocket for anybody who has to buy their insurance on the Ob- Obamacare marketplaces, right. If if there are any more options, I mean,
1: Humana's announced today that they're pulling out uh, after 2017 uh, of the Obamacare markets. I mean, but this is this is a a, a real flaw, I think, in Trump's thinking about this post pulling the bill. Which on Friday afternoon he says, um, "Now the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, own the imploding and soon to be exploding Obamacare." Well, I think. Democrats owned it when they passed it into law. They've owned it for quite a quite some time. Now, I think the American people see that Republicans couldn't repeal it were unwilling or unable to repeal it. Uh, I think, however, however you you may hope you know, President Trump or Paul Ryan, that Democrats continue to get blamed for this. Republicans are in charge now. And all of those problems you just mentioned, Eric no matter what happens we're going to be republicans problems too now they don't have uh or at least not uh they don't have the impetus from the white house uh to try to make any changes it's kind of silly but but that's that's the positioning that the white house is taking now that oh well this was the last chance and uh well i guess democrats own it i'm not so sure that that's going to happen and that's uh politically what uh, what what americans are going to take away from this development
0: it's sort of like uh, barack obama Seven years into his term, still referring to the recession that you know the uh, the economy right. really couldn't expect after seven years to have anything going with the economy, given the the, the bad deal from the previous guy.
1: Exactly. Did, was was Bill Clinton uh, and and his uh, banking policy blamed for what happened in two thousand eight? No, it was the guy who was in charge, George W. Bush.
0: Michael Warren, senior writer for the Weekly Standard. Thanks for joining us on the confab. Thanks, Eric. Welcome back to the Confab. I'm Eric Felton. If you like this sort of inside scoop and analysis you get here at the Confab, come and join us in June for this year's Weekly Standard Summit at Colorado's premier resort, the Broadmoor. The summit features two days of in-depth discussions on the new political scene and features special guest speakers such as Charles Krauthammer, The Wall Street Journal's Kim Strassel, and The Washington Examiner's Selena Zito. And, of course, from the Weekly Standard, Steve Hayes, Bill Crystal, and confab regular Fred Barnes. For more information or to make a reservation, go to weeklystandardevents.com. Well, we're glad to welcome here to the Confab a newbie to the Confab, her first time on the show, Jenna Liffitt's reporter for the Weekly Standard. Jenna, how are you doing?
2: I'm great. How are you?
0: Fine, thanks. Now, you you have been spending the whole week covering the, um, well, you know, I, I think if we had to put a title to it, um, it could be a Robert Ludlum novel, and it could be called The Comey Dossier. <laughs> what do you think? Yes. Ludlum's dead, but they keep cranking out Ludlum novels. I think that's a title for one. But it, it, I'm very confused by all of this, and maybe having covered this week's testimony and press conferences and the back and forth over investigations and wiretap allegations, et cetera. Maybe you can straighten me out, but I'll explain first my my own personal confusion about this, which is Donald Trump in one of his very sloppy but attention-grabbing tweets had claimed that President Obama had ordered wiretaps of him at Trump Tower. Now, this has been something that has been argued against, and FBI uh, head James Comey said he has nothing to suggest. He's seen nothing to suggest that, very specifically, that President Obama ordered a wiretap of Trump Tower. But at the same time, the FBI director acknowledged that there is an FBI investigation that's been going on since July of potential conflicts between Trump campaign people and the Russians. Now, the Trump campaign was going on, was was headquartered at Trump Tower. So what kind of investigation was the FBI doing if they had no surveillance going of Trump Tower and they were doing an investigation into the Trump campaign and the Russians? It seems to me that that would have been something of malpractice. And maybe all of this turns on the question of, well, we never said there was no surveillance. There just wasn't a wiretap, and the wiretap wasn't ordered by President Obama. Does that explain the contradiction, or is there something else going on altogether?
2: I think it all started on Monday, as you said. Um, Comey announced publicly that the FBI has been investigating Trump campaign officials, whether they coordinated uh, with the Kremlin since July. It's unclear – I mean, since then, um, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, the same committee that held that hearing on Monday, which many people were saying was, it was a bad day for the Trump campaign and for, for President Trump, um, the chairman has come out and said that he has evidence that uh, Trump campaign officials' communications were incidentally collected – in the run up to the inauguration. So mostly in November, December and January of this past year.
0: Now, the Democrats were very upset that uh, that Devin Nunes, the chairman of the committee, came out with this information without apprising them of the information first.
2: Yes. And he has since apparently reportedly apologized for not telling them. And he said it was a judgment call that he had to make. Um, But in the end, Currently, we don't – I don't think he has confirmed or has conc- has a conclusion for our, what sorts of communications were intercepted or even whether it was two uh, – whether it was a foreign target and a Trump campaign official communicating and those communications were intercepted or whether it was a different sort of incidental collection, um, for example, two foreign individuals discussing – or mentioning a Trump campaign official's name, so that could have also it could have been a mix of both sorts of communications. But we don't know. We don't know yet.
0: Now, uh, the ranking minority member, Adam Schiff, on the committee, he has then this week on Wednesday also said that he's seen evidence that suggests that um, there's nefarious doing that's going to look very bad for the Trump administration.
2: Right. So. Early, I believe, on Sunday, Schiff said that there is uh, definite evidence of deception and um, circum, otherwise circumstantial evidence of collusion, collusion between Trump team, the Trump team, and uh, the Kremlin. Now he's saying, now he's saying that he has more than circumstantial evidence. What that is, he has not, he has not announced.
0: How seriously are the Democrats taking? the position they're in at this point. Are you getting a sense that they are already thinking this is their vehicle for bringing down Donald Trump?
2: I think that they might see this Russia probe as their own sort of Benghazi, um, if you want to compare it, if you want to compare it to another sort of investigation that became increasingly politicized. Um, They're definitely using it to try to Damage the president and Republicans are saying that the very basis of of their allegations is that Obama and and Obama holdovers were the ones that leaked the information that eventually led to the resignation of uh, former national security Advisor Mike Flynn. Um, And they continue to uh, plan news stories and attempt to um, undermine President Trump in his early. And
0: according to The New York Times. There was an effort before um, the transition, during the transition before the inauguration, um, to declassify material, spread it around as much as possible so that it couldn't be buried from the Obama administration point of view, um, just a, a good government effort to make sure that the Trump people didn't um, bury nefarious uh, facts. Um, but that does look like um, the spreading of information that. Um, perhaps ought not to have been spread around.
2: It's a very important uh, report to consider in light of what Chairman Nunes alleged yesterday, which is that these communications were collected, then they were widely disseminated in foreign intelligence reports, despite, and this is the key point, despite having little or no apparent foreign intelligence value. So and in addition to that he said other names were unmasked meaning that um the when when a US person's communications are collected usually their identities are redacted out.
0: Right, this is under FISA law.
2: Yes, under under the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Um there are really strict procedures governing min- what's called minimization. So you would redact a US person's name and it would literally say US person 1. But it sounds like Nuñez is alleging that either their names were completely revealed or, as uh, Schiff said, after after he spoke with Nunes after the press conference yesterday on yesterday, um, it's possible that the na- most of the names were still masked. But Nunes was able to infer who the U.S. individuals or Trump Trump transition officials were um, from the context. So what gets also
0: so confusing about it this is that there basically seems to be two separate narratives of scandal here. The Republicans are arguing that the scandal is that um, names that should have been kept secret that were gathered through um, high tech snooping, government snooping, were revealed in a, a political black bag operation. And that's one scandal narrative, and the Democrats' scandal narrative is that you have the Trump team colluding treasonously, perhaps, with the Russians, great adversaries, and um, so. But neither of these scandal narratives have been proved. Both are full of all sorts of, you know, it's been reported, somebody says they saw, and so the tremendous confusion out of this is we have two competing narratives, neither of which is there is any proof out in the open about and um, just a lot of contention back and forth.
2: Exactly right. And I think you saw that on display during the hearing on Monday, um, those those points you mentioned. What's disturbing and dangerous, especially about um, the Republican narrative concerning the leaks and everything, is that... Um, We don't know how much of it is substantiated, and if it turns out that there were potential surveillance abuses, obviously that needs to be handled, but it could also have an effect on really important counterterrorism legislation, Um, for example, FISA Section 702, which is critical to American counterterrorism efforts. It turns out that some of these communications where Trump transition officials were mentioned were collected under 702. It could have an adverse effect on... The legislation potentially it has to be reauthorized in December, so potentially right. it could ab- not be The abuse
0: of the snooping laws is not going to encourage people to support the reauthorization of the snooping laws.
2: Right. Not to, say, I mean, not to say that the legislation should not be reformed, but you're already seeing Republicans who were previously completely on board with 702 in 2012 um, show wariness about reauthorizing
0: The problem for the Republicans, though, with their scandal narrative is that their scandal narrative is based on an argument that Trump team people were overheard talking with the Russians and that the information about them being overheard should have been kept secret, which actually lends itself to the Democratic narrative that, hey, look, see, the Trump people were talking to the Russians.
2: No, that's a great point. Um, And I think – I mean, I think it all started with General Flynn and how his communications were leaked to the media and uh, disseminated that way.
0: Now, were his – here's the interesting question. Were his actual communications leaked to the media or the mere fact of his communications leaked to the media? Because I have yet to see anything that appears to be what he actually said to the Russians. And at some point – Um, I think it's going to be essential to sorting this stuff out for things like Flynn's, the transcript of, unredacted transcript of Flynn's conversation with the Russian ambassador um, to be put out there. Um, Right now, it looks all very nefarious, but uh, maybe it was kind of straightforward stuff.
2: Right. Um, We have not seen the transcripts of those calls. And it's possible that the reporters have them. I doubt that they would sit on on it if they had the transcripts of the calls. But it's very important that the public sees those or at least um, it's unclear whether members of the Intelligence Committee on the House or the Senate side have seen them.
0: And they're all working together so well. They'll get together. They'll look it over. They'll come to a rational decision about what to do with it. Everybody will believe in them and trust them to do the right thing.
2: Well, the House and Senate um, intelligence committees are working on separate investigations, and they've been very clear about that fact.
0: Jenna Liffitts, reporter with The Weekly Standard, hope you'll come back to the Confab and keep us up to date on this unfolding uh, narrative competition. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us on the Confab. That's it for the Confab this week. Be sure to tune in to the Confab every week. Just go to iTunes for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Felton. Catch you next time.